This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Two different cases, both involving religious freedom. One featured in the Hill, California Baker wins case over same-sex wedding cake. And the other, yes, in California as well, dealing with the jaw-healing Kemetic Temple of the Divine Church, Shuttered Cannabis Church takes fight to reopen California Supreme Court. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. We're talking about two very different religious liberty cases today, but before we get into the substance of those cases, why doesn't the press ever mention RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and how it affects court cases on the left and the right? Yeah, I really have no understanding of that. We've done several podcasts about this topic, and it always seems like they've got a puzzle, and the absolute crucial pieces of the image are all in the RIFRA law and in the history of the law and how it came about. If you think back, it was the glory days of fundamentalist religious power, otherwise known as the Clinton administration. And you had a coalition that was everybody from the Assemblies of God to the Unitarians all agreed on this bill. And there were only like three votes against it in the U.S. Senate. And the key to RIFRA is that it doesn't guarantee that someone wins their lawsuit claiming religious freedom. But what it does is it says they get to make a First Amendment argument. They get to make a religious liberty case. And then emerging out of the casework there, we've had kind of a series of kind of guidelines of how a court judges whether a religious liberty claim is sincere or whether it's just kind of people throwing spaghetti against the legal wall and hoping that something sticks. Now, in these two cases, we've got another one of those wedding baker cases coming up. And then we have in California, a return to the church of cannabis, to the people who who say that smoking marijuana is a crucial part of their religious beliefs and practice. And so we got two, some would say that this is a case on the left, and a case on the right, but they're only thinking that way because they're thinking in terms of kind of liberalized marijuana laws as being liberal, when you could also think of them as libertarian. You could see the drug church as a libertarian exercise. Then meanwhile, we have the baker involved in a request for a special cake, artistically created cake for a same-sex union. So we have another case that's very similar to the famous case out of Colorado, which just seems to go on and on and on and on with Jack Phillips and the Master Cake Shop. So I don't know why it could be that they just want to cover these stories somehow as if they were political stories instead of actual legal stories. And 
this is deeper. This may be giving some reporters more credit than they deserve for this. It's possible that they don't want to deal with it as a religious liberty case, because when you deal with it as religious liberty, you are going to get some liberals who back these cases on both sides, both cases. And for different reasons, you'll have conservatives who feel more comfortable with some of these subjects than others. It's maybe they, they're, it's really strange, but it's like they're trying to leave the law out of a story that's about a lawsuit. And I don't know, understand, I don't understand how that works, but that seems to be what's happening. Summarize these cases for us, if you would. Well, the cannabis case, we're, we're dealing here with a religion news service case, the Jahiling Kabetic Temple of the Divine Church. And basically what they're saying is that their interpretation of scripture is that verses Exodus that describe a fragrant cane ingredient in holy anointing oil, they're claiming that that's cannabis, that that's hemp of some kind, their religious rituals, they need to be able to smoke marijuana in order to be able to carry out their religious. And California is kind of saying, I mean, after all, we're dealing here with California. The, the California is kind of saying, well, you can smoke them if you want them at home or whatever, but it seems to be that their business case, like you can't sell and distribute this marijuana to your parishioners at your church. And this raises the fact that when you're dealing with church state cases of this sort, religious freedom cases, religious liberty, RIFRA cases, the courts often want to know if something is fraud, whether it's making a profit, and then third, whether it's a clear threat to life and health. Well, we're clearly not, we're not dealing with clear threat to life and health. If they're making a profit, it's a tiny amount. And I don't think anyone's committing fraud, except here's what the court's got to do. You've got to basically say that their doctrine is a fraud, that they're saying this just so that they get to smoke marijuana at church. Now, this takes you back into a major Supreme Court case in this area, which concerned Native Americans who claimed that smoking peyote was a historic part of their ancient faith. And they had, this is crucial, they had all kinds of historical evidence that peyote and hallucinogenic experiences had been a part of Native American rituals in their tribe for centuries. And that's crucial. There's a difference between something like a religious faith that's just been created and one that has centuries of history behind it. And in a very famous ruling, the court ruled that they have a right to smoke peyote in worship services. In other words, nobody was asking, hey, can I use peyote while watching football games? Can I use peyote while grilling steak? Can I just like recreational use of the drug? This case had nothing to do with that. It was, can peyote be used in a ritual that has centuries of history behind it in a historic religious faith? And even though there were people who were very nervous about the court ruling in favor of, of use of, of a hallucinogenic drug, 
there was a wide coalition of religious believers who backed that case simply because they felt these religious believers had no other option. You were basically asking them to do away with some crucial rituals of their faith. So the cannabis church essentially has got to argue something similar. I think when this gets in front of a judge, one of the crucial questions is going to be, is this a kind of new made up faith? Are they going to be able to show that for decades or hopefully centuries, there were other Christian believers who interpreted Exodus 30, 22 in this same manner? So in other words, to practice their faith the way people have practiced it for generations, they need to smoke marijuana in a worship service. That's the case they've got to make. So the similarity to the peyote case is very strong. Now, the other California case, the one with the baker, is in many, many ways a repeat of the Masterpiece Cake Shop. And this story is in The Hill. And the crucial thing is that they did include material in this story about the nature of the cake. You know how you sometimes, you'll remember that, listeners will remember too, that you often see news stories that say they refused to sell a cake to a gay couple. Well, if you word it that way, you're leaving the First Amendment issue out of this in many ways. It, these people are not saying they don't want to deal with gay customers. They're not even saying they want to deal with, they're refusing to sell cookies and stuff for dinners and you know for the reception and they may be totally willing like jack phillips in colorado was totally willing to sell them any other cake that was in his store what he was refusing to do as an he considers himself an artist as a baker he was refusing to create a cake with specific symbolism and wording to celebrate a same-sex union and he said that um, this violated his religious beliefs. And so this brings us to a passage in the, uh, the Hill piece, which is a direct parallel, and that's a complement to the story. Whether they know it or not, this is what readers need to hear. The judge ruled that baking the custom cake falls under artistic expression. So Miller's First Amendment protections to free speech supersedes the state interest and then what they're saying, state interest to prevent discrimination of any kind at all. Then there's a direct quote. The department failed to prove that defendants intentionally discriminated against Aline and Myeria because of their sexual orientation. The evidence affirmatively showed that Miller's only intent, her only motivation, was fidelity to her sincere Christian beliefs. Miller's only motivation in creating and following the design standards and in declining to involve herself or her business in designing a wedding cake for a marriage at odds with her faith was to observe and practice her own Christian faith. And of course, she has no problem whatsoever demonstrating centuries of Judeo-Christian, Islamic, even Buddhist beliefs against same-sex marriage and that sex outside of marriage is sin. So she is making exactly the same case as the case that's gone on and on and on in Colorado. And this story at least let the reader know 
that this is an issue of compelled artistic expression. Can the state force someone to create what they consider a work of art with content that clashes with their own beliefs? You may remember something, a kind of a little parable that I created years ago to illustrate this, where I flipped from at a baking case or a catering case from a liberal perspective. It's fairly long, but let me read this again because I help it, think it will help our listeners understand. Let's say that there is a businessman in Indianapolis who runs a catering company. He is an openly gay Episcopalian, and at the heart of his faith, and the faith articulated by his church is a sincere belief that homosexuality is a gift of God and a natural part of God's creation. This business owner has long served a wide variety of clients, including a nearby Pentecostal church that's predominantly African-American. One day, the leaders of his church asked him to cater a major event, the upcoming regional conference of the parents and friends of ex gays and gays. He declined saying this would violate everything he stands for as a liberal Christian. He notes that they have dozens of other catering options in the city and that while he's willingly served them in the past, it's his sincere belief that it would be wrong to do so in this specific case. You could twist that parable one more step and say, what if this man was operating a t-shirt company and the Pentecostal church came to him and asked him to design and create a elaborate, beautiful t-shirt celebrating this ex-gay conference. That would be an even closer connection to the cake shop cases. So you have also, I want to take you back to July when you wrote about a Florida, uh, I think a, an abortion case that was in the courts where the religious left, some elements of the religious left were alleging that Florida's near ban on abortion was somehow infringing upon their right to exercise their religion. What was that all about, Terry? Well, I mean, exactly what they're saying. They're saying that they believe that women have a right to abortion that's crucial to their practice. And I believe these were Jewish rabbis. They have a broader coalition, but this was a uh, reform, a liberal form of Judaism. And what they're saying is that the... Supreme Court is trying to take away women's right of conscience. Conscience is a crucial part of their Jewish faith, and thus their religious liberty is being inhibited. Now, one of the key points I made in that post was that you have multiple different Jewish approaches to the subject of abortion. It's a spectrum. You have everything from some forms of Orthodox Judaism which strictly prohibit abortion. You have reformed Judaism to the other extreme, which basically says it's totally a woman's right of conscience. The faith will back them on it. But and here, this is crucial to understand. There are other Jewish positions, nuanced positions among conservative Jews, and even among some Orthodox Jews that don't agree specifically on when it's right to ban abortion. And this, to some degree, comes down to the whole question of ensoulment. When does a fertilized egg become a human being? Is that when there's a heartbeat? Is that when the baby first moves in the womb? There's, and there's a wide array 
of Jewish discussion of this issue through the centuries as people's understanding of pregnancy grew and as the science developed and changed. So once again, in that case, they're going to have to argue, I think, something beyond simply conscience. I think they're going to have to argue that their faith has some way of demonstrating this belief in worship, in ritual, or whatever. But I've heard a lot of conservative Christians just wave their hand at that case, like they would wave their hand at the cannabis case and say, oh, come on, you've got to be joking. This isn't serious. Well, the court's going to decide whether it's serious. And I remind our listeners that a lot of the strongest cases defending religious liberty in America are by groups that you would not necessarily want to support them. I mean, like blood transfusion cases involving Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian science or Pentecostal believers who refuse to have their children vaccinated for common diseases and the children get sick and die. Fraud, profit, clear threat to life and health. Clear threat to life and health creates some very painful dilemmas in medical cases. But if you're going to defend religious liberty for some, courts are going to need to find a consistent standard for how to defend religious liberty for all. In this case, I wouldn't be surprised in some courts if the cannabis people win their case. But I think a crucial part of them doing so will be demonstrating that they are not the first people to create religious rituals, prayer, scripture, worship, in which cannabis is used. If they can go in a courtroom and show a lengthy history for these rituals, I predict they may win. How would you overall evaluate the media coverage of both of these stories that, whether it's acknowledged or not, do involve a law called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act? Yeah, once again, it's like they are dancing around the edges of the law. And in the case of the, uh, the Hill story, they got the information in, which is that this is an artistic expression case under the First Amendment. Now, in the R&S story about the cannabis church, you never really get the sense of them making a case for their own beliefs historically. What they're arguing, let me read another passage from that story. The petition argues that the county has never had a problem with churches that bless wine, or, and this is, I don't know how to pronounce this, I assume this is another herb or something, Ayahasha, A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A. That's something that growing up as a Southern Baptist preacher's kid, I didn't know anything about that. To bless these other elements of sacraments, yet it has consistently and regularly surveyed, entered into, and interfered with the Jaw Church, resulting in our church's closure. So they're saying, okay, you approve these other substances that are to some degree or another drugs. You approve them for other people. Why aren't you approving our use of a regulated or in some cases illegal substance? That's a really good question. And if they had added in this thing, if they had added in the story, like, say, references to the peyote case or some of the other 
Religious Freedom Restoration Act, RIFRA Act cases, I think the readers would have had a much better understanding of what's going on. There are no shortage of think tanks, legal assistance organizations that have devoted themselves to defending religious freedom in its various manifestations state by state. Are we hearing in these stories from any of those? I think, for instance, the Beckett Fund, but there are many others as well. Are we hearing in these stories from any representatives of those groups? Well, I mean, there are of the attorneys. The Thomas More Society is mentioned by name in the, uh, the wedding cake story. But one of the reasons I think that these stories are actually pretty easy to report on is that you have both politically and theologically liberal think tanks dealing with church-state issues, as well as conservatives. And it's very interesting to see when they agree and when they disagree. That would be a whole story in and of itself. Is the legal and religious left and right agreeing on the cannabis case, disagreeing on the case that is linked to a same-sex wedding because of the incredible importance of LGBTQ issues for liberal religious believers and for secular people in our current age. You're exactly right by saying these folks are easy to find online. They have press offices that are more than happy to talk to people. It's not hard to cover this story. You just have to realize what kind of legal arguments are involved and then let the readers know what's actually being argued here. This isn't a we want to smoke marijuana case. This is somehow you're infringing against our church's, I would say, creation of religious rituals that involve marijuana. This isn't a case, I refuse to sell anything to gay customers. It's not even, I refuse to sell wedding cakes to gay customers. It's, I refuse to make cakes for anyone who comes to me and asks me to create art that violates my conscience. I don't know about this California case involving this particular baker, but in the Colorado case, it's very clear that he has refused cases that involve satanic symbols. I think he refuses cases involving tobacco or like smokers club cases and stuff. He's been pretty consistent in sticking to his beliefs, but it's not just a commercial exercise. These people are arguing we have, we want to practice our religious faith which in one case means refusing to create art with certain religious content. And in the other case, they're holding out that they have a right to, and I keep using the word create, I don't, I don't know if we've established that. They have the right to practice religious rituals involving marijuana, and the state won't let them. When you don't let someone practice a ritual, and the people can prove this ritual has been done for centuries, most courts are going to be pretty hesitant to shut that down, to say that the state has a prevailing interest in stopping that worship service. The peyote case is the classic example. Why do you think the, it's subtlety, but why do you think the subtlety of the, now we have 
oh, at least that I can think of, three or four be they bakers or florists. We have three or four of these cases that have made national news. And often in the stories from the mainstream press, we don't get the subtlety of, I'm not refusing to serve gay people or transgender people. I'm simply refusing to express beliefs I disagree with through my, whatever it may be, floral arrangements or wedding cakes. Why do you think that's missing? It's not that hard to understand. Well, I think it's because they're dealing with a strict, in their own minds, they're dealing with a strict comparison between sexual orientation, same-sex marriage, and race. They're saying the state in the Bob Jones case long ago has established that religious groups can't have doctrine that's practiced in their schools, in their churches, whatever, that discriminates on the basis of race. And all along, the LGBTQ argument has been our sexual orientation is either born or either born this way or it's immutable. We can't change it. Although now it seems in the trans case, gender identity can come and go. It can change day to day. So that's a really interesting thing to stop and think about. But I think it's they want to be able to say it's wrong to discriminate in any way on the basis of race. We're the same. Now, the court has yet to give a clear Supreme Court decision that equates the mysteries of sexual orientation with the gender, the DNA, gender DNA, racial DNA stuff of those other cases of gender discrimination or racial discrimination, stuff where the science points to specific DNA markers, etc. But that's why I think the press, which is very sympathetic, overwhelmingly sympathetic to the LGBTQ cause, and I don't think it's hard to demonstrate that in content analysis studies, I think they're hanging on to that image. This baker is practicing discrimination just as much if she refused to make a wedding cake with two African-Americans on the cake or an African-American woman and a white male. My religion says, you know, that interracial marriage is wrong, so I can't make that cake. Now, part of the problem is there are some fundamentalists in the past who've argued against interracial marriage or whatever. But there, to my knowledge, there is no major global historic branch of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, or whatever that has been prohibited interracial marriage and has, frankly, has backed that kind of discrimination based on race. I mean, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is now several generations after it changed its doctrine on race. So it's they're, they're really trying to draw, to play the race card and make the LGBTQ card the same. So I think they're just hanging on to that idea. And it's just so much more powerful for their case to be able to say, this baker refused, turned away a gay couple and refused to deal with them. When that's not what the court testimony showed, it was much more specific than that. In the famous flower shop case up in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, you were dealing with a woman who had 
you know, I believe gays and lesbians actively working on her staff. She had a long history of serving this particular gay couple and was happy to continue to do so. But she didn't want to create artistic floral arrangements that would be in the worship service celebrating a gay marriage. Since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down some provisions of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as they applied to the states in, a, I think it was a 1997 case, City of Bern v. Flores, and it was under, they did it under the some of the provisions of the 14th Amendment. Does that explain why the media no longer has much interest in RIFRA? I don't think so. I mean, simply because remember what I said at the beginning of our conversation, RIFRA doesn't guarantee you that you win. RIFRA gives the rules under which you can argue your case. And it says you have a right to argue this case. There are a lot of conservatives who want to be able to say, oh, I'm making a RIFRA claim, I win. That isn't how it works. And I think there are even a lot of journalists and maybe some gay rights activists and others who want a wave a magic wand to make RIFRA go away because they think you automatically win. And that isn't it. It's just you simply get to make a case based on this within the parameters of this law. You get to make a First Amendment religious liberty case. Now, at some point, the U.S. Supreme Court may have punted and punted and punted on this issue over and over. They're going to have to make a decision on whether or not it is possible to equate gender issues, gender change issues, and sexual orientation. Are you going to be able to compare those directly to race? And the court has not ruled on that. They also have not ruled directly. They keep trying to find ways to prevent ruling on this. They haven't yet ruled that the artistic expression argument under the First Amendment directly wins these cases. They haven't said the cake shop owners, the photographers, the website creators. And we've got a case coming up at the court involving website creation to be very clearly artistic expression and content creation. Florists and photographers, all these people. They haven't yet said this is a matter of compelled speech and First Amendment rights. The court has not said that yet. The minute they do, a lot of these arguments are going to go away. But the court is so divided on these topics right now that I guess First Amendment liberals like me are kind of holding our breath and wondering what the court will do and when they'll do it. With about a minute here, do you think that the media understands the difference that you just highlighted there? There's a difference between the freedom to say something and the freedom not to be compelled to say something. Well, they would sure understand it if somebody tried to compel their newspaper to print something. I mean, if you went to their editor and said, I have a right to have you create a story that says what I want it to say. And if you won't publish that, I'm gonna sue you for discrimination based on the religious or the cultural or the political content of that article. 
a newspaper publisher is going to laugh like crazy at that sort of claim. But for some reason, they don't understand when other people who create information, art, text, images, websites, films, photography, they don't seem to understand that someone could walk in the door and do the exact same thing and say, you've sold a lot of people these artistic cakes. Now you have to do it for me. And it has to have the content I require you of you. You've got to say what I want you to say. I, I've never understood why journalists can't quite understand that argument. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the Weekly on Religion column for the Universal Syndicate in the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, enjoy your time there in Wichita, Kansas with your grandkids. Glad to be with you. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.